Hello, podcast listeners. This is just Travis speaking, and I know it's unusual that I'm speaking before the intro music, but I come before you today with a new feature of the podcast that we're including in the next three episodes, and that is a content warning. We've not given content warnings for any of the books we've previously chosen, and I think we're going to continue to treat this on a case-by-case basis, so we're not going to do a list up top or anything. Usually in the literature we've selected, I don't think it would be warranted, but Amanda and I both agreed that given the contents of The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, which is what this and the next two episodes will be about, that it was, yeah, for the first time warranted. The Bluest Eye is a novel that features graphic depictions and descriptions of sexual violence, sexual assault, and racism and racist violence. And so if those are topics to which you are either sensitive or you just do not want to engage, we do describe the book in full or we do analyze the book in full. I don't even remember at this point, to be honest, if we discuss those quotes or those moments, but we do talk about them. It's their essential moments in the story, so they do come up a lot in discussion. I'm not going to issue timestamps for any of the things in specific just because it permeates kind of the whole novel and our entire discussion is about the happenings in the book. So instead, I'm going to include this content warning audio up front in front of all the episodes, and I'll let you, the listener, decide what you're comfortable with. We wholeheartedly recommend reading this incredible novel, but again, that's completely up to you to determine what you're comfortable with, what you want to engage with, and think about. And so, yeah, I hope this serves as just enough of a heads up, and so you know what you're getting into. If nothing else, please listen to the book recommendation for The Bluest Eye because we we both feel really passionate about people reading it. And I think we make a case there. And again, we don't get into a lot of the descriptions and the quotes and all of that from the book. But I think we make a really good case about why this is important, why it's so remarkably well done, and why you should read it. So we hope you listen in with us. Thanks for listening to this, and we'll see you between the pages. Let's get to that intro music. Welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the thoughtful book club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host, Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. We are here today to recommend a book to you, the listener, our wonderful listeners, whom we love so dearly. If you've never listened to the pod before, you found the perfect episode to begin with, because in this episode, in any book recommendation episode we do, we attempt to persuade you in under 30 minutes to join us for the next two weeks and read the book along with us and join us for those discussions. If you haven't followed us on social media yet, please do so. You can find our page, The Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. We have an Instagram page up and a Facebook page up that are active. We post on those. There's some art that goes up every Friday when we post and promote the books. And it's a good way to remind you of what we've got coming up and the, the books we'll be covering and tackling. So follow us there. And as always, we ask that you recommend us to friends, rate and review us on podcast platforms of your choosing. All of that is greatly appreciated and Gosh, we do appreciate it. I'm running out of words here. <laughs> coming coming off the recording we just did, I can see why. I'm just at a loss. A little bit behind the scenes for you, the new listeners there. Let's talk about the book we are here to recommend, Amanda. It is The Bluest Eye, which is a novel by Toni Morrison. Why don't you throw the prompt at me? The way we do the books is that one person picks a prompt and then the other person picks the book and we just alternate back and forth. So talk me through the prompt and then I'll explain my decision. Yeah. <clears throat> the the prompt that I gave you was to choose a novel or an author that you believed um, should be considered a classic or should be canonized in literature. 
Yes. And so I chose not by the book because if you're new to this, you might not know this about me. I really like to pick new things to read. I'm like a shark in my reading habits. I do not like to go back and never stop moving. So it's always picking new stuff. Um, I know Toni Morrison pretty well from some college studies and literary studies that I had done, but I've never read The Bluest Eye or had never read The Bluest Eye, I should say. I'd only read Beloved and I think Jazz is the other book I encountered. But her reputation in American literary history is pretty much unimpeachable. She is a Mount Rushmore-esque figure in the American Mm -hmm. literature landscape. Definitely over the last hundred years, her name would be on a short list of maybe five people of profound significance to just the American experience and American life. Specifically, too, she speaks well to black and African-American experience in America and the sort of haunted and tortured nature of that history, even the, the recent history. Uh, Coming off of last year, we did a whole series of book reviews you can still find in the feed, or actually book discussions, I should say, featuring black and African-American writers. And so this is kind of a continuation of that. When we relaunched this podcast and renamed it and picked a new format, we just thought to ourselves that we would embed that mission into this one as well, not make it the explicit goal, but just sort of weave it into the philosophy. And so I think picking Toni Morrison's in line with that. Also, she's a literary genius. So that <laughs> seems like a pretty easy pick in, in many regards. Relevant to current events, topical. She writes uh, like a poetic, I don't know, some kind of, I was going to say some kind of muse or something. I don't know. She's She has an elevated way about writing. Yeah. I think elevated is the the perfect adjective. Yeah, yeah. Of the things we've done so far, I will say this resonated with me the most. So let's let's make this a good book recommendation. Let's not blow it on Toni Morrison's behalf, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we will begin the recommendation as we normally do with our first segment, which is a reading simile. This is when we compare reading this to something to try and get you invested, get some creative ideas out there. Amanda, start us off. What is reading The Bluest Eye like? I said that uh, reading this is like eating a strawberry shortcake. Um, The core is dense. It's almost heavy, but the toppings are light and fluffy, and it's just delicious and Mm, filling as a dessert. Coming up on springtime, too. Is that like a springtime go-to for you? It's a summertime thing for me, actually. It's like the the dessert that reminds me of um, my my dad's hometown in Maine, actually. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I can't say that this is a nostalgic work, but it does realize a time period quite, I don't know, poignantly. So mm-hmm. there's that. I have two similes I'll present to the court. I don't know. I'm doing this courtroom style. I have two two pieces of evidence to present here <laughs> to you, the, the judge, jury, executioner, Amanda. And I would like them to overlap, but they don't. So I'm going to try and talk through them separately. The first comparison I'll make is that I thought reading this book is like watching those slow motion videos that are really popular and viral on YouTube. Have you ever seen these of people shooting a tennis ball or hitting a basketball, blowing up a water balloon, things like that? Are you familiar with this kind of trend? Yeah. So that I think really works because when you watch, for example, a water balloon pop in slow motion, there are just happenings and kind of ripples in it and it has a bit of majesty and beauty about it it also at some point becomes so foreign looking because you've never seen it happen like that that it it has a majesty that's brand new even though you're looking at something you know you've seen it just takes on a different dimension and i Mm -hmm. thought reading this kind of felt that way to me and in a way you are kind of happy watching something happen in a slow motion way because of the way the narrative is so chunked up that it's not you get these different angles and perspectives on something and so that's my first one the other one i think is an honest one i have to throw in and 
I found it to be like watching professional skateboarding clips at the end of almost any professional skateboarding reel at the very end, and sometimes littered throughout. The video will include the skateboarder failing and falling, usually you know pretty hard, taking on some injuries. And I thought that this felt like that too, where I, I still find skateboarding as a hobby I had as a kid and haven't touched in decades to be quite beautiful and really, I don't know, I find skateboarding still really fascinating. I think it's really just quite a treat to watch it happen, the physics of it. And so I'm thinking, you ha- I, I want to watch this beautiful thing, but you know those clips are going to be in there, and part of you also knows the horror that you're going to rewind them to, that you're going to see the bail, and that part of you will be thinking that was, you know, you're going to turn away and flinch, but also watch it again, maybe. And there is, mm-hmm. there is a certain tragic, destructive quality to this book, and it deals in topics that are just outright horrifying. So, and that, yeah, it has that feeling. And because it's so beautifully written and realized that you, you don't want to turn away, but maybe no part of you should or something. And so it's only within the context of well-realized literature. Could I feel so torn? I like that. I think that's great. The, um, I think both of your similes work really well. You could even perhaps combine them and say like, yeah, slow-mo of, Right. Like a terrible crash with I I wrote that down too. I wish that they could overlap, but that I think cuz I don't think I've ever watched skateboarding in slow motion to be honest, at least not a fail. They often slow down a trick that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. So I was I was like, "Ah, oh, man, that'd be a perfect mixture," but I couldn't think of a video where they showed the the injuries in slow motion or something. Yeah. So anyway, but but I'm sure it's out there. No, you're exactly right. I actually, I typed that up. That's funny. Yeah, we're we're in the same <laughs> wavelength. Okay. Let's jump to the next part. This is the scripted portion. This is what we call the scripted pitch. Each of us has assembled a roughly 200 word more or less pitch to try and persuade you to read. This is pre-written. And so Amanda, take it away. What's your scripted pitch? Sure. Um, It blew me away that this was Toni Morrison's first novel. This work is so well put together, so thoughtfully and meticulously constructed that I thought for sure this is one of her later works. That's just testimony to how amazing she is as a writer. In this novel, Morrison depicts a community already othered because of race and that further fragments itself by classism and self-hatred and personal shame. The standards of beauty, of goodness, of godliness even, are based on white standards, and the adults in the community do not dispel these concepts. These are heavy, vital themes that the author is able to present in elegant prose that don't weigh the reader down. I'll say it in another way. This was both an interesting and enlightening read, as well as an enjoyable one. You don't have to study literature to appreciate this novel. Yes, there's a lot to unpack, but only if you want to. If you just want a novel that will get you thinking about the world we live in, this is a good one to choose for sure. Yeah, so pertinent for current events, Black Lives Matter protests last year. There's just, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's no moment in American history that is not deeply interwoven with black American history. Those things are the same thing. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I suppose it's always relevant maybe more so these days though. And so, yeah, very well said. Here's my pitch. Uh, Toni Morrison has woven a delicate and really thick spider web of a novel here. And I, yes, I did choose that comparison to slightly incite the arachnophobes among us. That was purposeful (laughs) because this novel is horrifying and you should, it even warns you about this. The first couple pages will lay out what is going to happen in this book it is one of the first novels I've encountered that after I finished it and learned that it's a frequently banned book in, in American school districts, I only shrugged when I learned this just because of how 
intricate and intense it can be. I don't agree with that narrow-sighted decision, of course, and I, I don't believe in banning any book, but I, I kind of got it just because of the intensity of this work. It, it is pure poetry, though. It's got an audacious range in it. If you weren't aware that Toni Morrison was an American literary genius, then this being her first novel will have you agreeing with that by the end. It's going to cement her position, I imagine, in your mind. If you do decide to embark upon this 200-page real tapestry of black America, you just just trust that Morrison can do more in 10 pages than many authors can do in 50. So it's a brief work, but man, is it, it has depth and intensity. There are point of view shifts that happen often. They're a bit disruptive at first. I could get that, but that decision by the end is also loaded with intentionality too. The pace can feel pretty furious at times, but I think that also fits. The thesis of this book, if I had to put it simply, would be that one cannot watch the destruction of a person by only going inward. Perhaps this is never more true than in the case of young African-American girls or even boys, some of the most vulnerable people in America. And so I just want to end with a quick cliche. It will and does in this work take a village to just utterly destroy the vulnerable protagonist, Pecola, at the core of this book. And I just think that every American must observe how it is done, how that destruction works. And if you're someone from another country, then I just think you deserve to see a literary master crafting something beautiful. So I think those two reasons alone should be enough to to go to it. I'll also mention a quick note, though this is going to, I'm going to put a warning before this. You've already heard this, but I'll just say it again that there are graphic and gruesome depictions of sexual violence and racist hate speech in this book. And so it's not something in terms of topic that can be entered into lightly, I would say. Um, just be aware of that. But we'll, I'll put that before the episode too. So that's my pitch. That's great. I, I love that. I, I love the, the end cliche. Yeah. The yeah. Nice twist to it. Yeah. It, and it, you see it from all angles, the destruction yeah. of this person. Let's talk about quotes because we've been pretty celebratory and rapturous about the pros. Let's talk about and give some of the pros. We do like to give a quote each just to show you a preview of what the style of the book is like and what reading it will be like. Amanda, go ahead and start us off with your quote for clarification. Sure. Uh, Mine is from page 116, and this is from Mrs. Breedlove, uh, Piccola's mom's Mm -hmm. um, perspective. But there must have been a speck, a brown speck, easily mistaken for food, but which did not leave, which sat on the enamel for months and grew until it cut into the surface and then to the brown putty underneath, finally eating away to the root, but avoiding the nerves. So its presence was not noticeable or uncomfortable. Then the weakened roots, having grown accustomed to the poison, responded one day to the severe pressure and the tooth fell free, leaving a ragged stump behind. But even before the little brown speck, there must have been the conditions, the setting that would allow it to exist in the first place. This is, first of all, just great imagery uh, and just a great Mm -hmm. way to describe how a tooth um, is rotten at the core and falls out. But also very heavily symbolic um, and very much tied to the overall theme of the novel. So it just goes to show how purposeful Morrison is when she writes and how everything kind of just ties together very beautifully. 
Yeah, it's a that that quote about someone's rotting tooth is a critique of systemic racism. So if you didn't catch that, then <laughs> the the book will demand that you catch symbols like that. For example, yeah, and also a kind of a commentary on her own life and upbringing and the own her own kind of personal horrors too, circumstances. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. My quote is from fifty five and fifty six. This is the introduction in the novel. Of three characters, they are three prostitutes who live above Piccola, the main character, in the same building. And this is the introduction of them, roughly. Three merry gargoyles, three merry harridans, amused by a long-ago time of ignorance. They did not belong to those generations of prostitutes created in novels, with great and generous hearts, dedicated, because of the horror of circumstance, to ameliorating the luckless, barren life of men, taking money incidentally and humbly for their understanding. Nor were they from that sensitive breed of young girl, gone wrong at the hands of fate, forced to cultivate an outward brittleness in order to protect her springtime from further shock, but knowing full well that she was cut out for better things and could make the right man happy. Neither were they the sloppy, inadequate whores who, unable to make a living at it alone, turned to drug consumption and traffic or pimps to help complete their scheme of self-destruction, avoiding suicide only to punish the memory of some absent father or to sustain the misery of some silent mother. Except for Marie's fabled love of Dewey Prince, these women hated men, all men, without shame, apology, or discrimination. They abused their visitors with a scorn grown me mechanical from use. Black men, white men, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, Jews, Poles, whatever, all were inadequate and weak. All came under their jaundiced eyes and were the recipients of their disinterested wrath. They took delight in cheating them. I'll pause there. I There are so many characters that get introduced in this book, and they are so economically and wonderfully shown and set up explored that by the end i think it will truly blow your mind it, it every description has a has a punch has depth there are illusions that come and go that float in and out pretty effortlessly it's really quite literary in the sense that the the descriptions the impact of them the words chosen the pace of it it just all has an ear she has such a clear ear for poetic writing which i'll get to in a second but just everything about the prose sings and you know that it's going to sing also while screaming about some of the truly most horrendous things that can befall someone is just a marriage that I think you have to read and you just have to experience it. Yeah. And, and that quote too is like really great for kind of giving us insights into the characters and she's Morrison is wonderful at creating these characters that generate a lot of interest. They're not flat characters. Um, right, right. She's she's just great at characterization and just writing in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so, I don't know. I feel like we use the word adjective punchy a lot, but gosh, I love it. I don't know why. I'm not a violent <laughs> person. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why that word's so evocative to me. But yes, it it is all just so punchy. It really jumps off the page. So that's the quote I wanted to share as well. Characters that we, as we bemoan on the book clubs, didn't stick around for as long as we wanted, but that's okay. They They get their due. They get their due. <laughs> let's conclude this persuasive episode of recommendation by visiting our favorite place amanda the literary knapsack where each of us reaches into the bag and pulls out one piece of literary advice or reading advice that you can use the reader you can use as you begin your journey into this book something that we think will help you grapple with it or understand it better amanda what are we what are you picking from the knapsack this week um i chose foil Yes. Uh, spelled like aluminum foil, but not the same thing. Indeed. 
<laughs> um, so foil is a literary device designed to illustrate or reveal information, traits, values, or motivations of one character through the comparison and contrast of another character, which allows writers to create a counterpart for the protagonist that puts the protagonist's actions and choices in context. In other words, a foil is when you have a character and then the character is almost opposite in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> sometimes it's an antagonist, but oftentimes not. Um, and we actually see several in this novel. I won't name the foils, but several characters actually do have foils. Um, and it's really interesting to see the comparisons and contrasts between characters because it really highlights just how culpable the community is at large. Yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler to say, I mean, almost nothing's a spoiler because the first two pages of this book tell you what is going to occur and is mm -hmm. not mistaking anything in that regard. But yeah. I don't think this is a structural spoiler to say that I think there are character foils for sure bouncing back and forth. They are all foils for Piccola. She is the vector through which every ill and disease, metaphorically speaking, is transmitted. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I think foil is such a fascinating term because and yeah. on the one hand, it's so obvious what the book has done by the end and that everyone is culpable, like you said. But then the way that the characters that outside of Piccola interact with each other, it is, I know I said this metaphor earlier but it is really a web that is woven yeah yeah that's well chosen i'm gonna br go with mine pretty briefly from the penguin literary dictionary i'm pulling out poetic prose which is uh, this is the definition in that dictionary prose which approximates to verse in the use of rhythm perhaps even a kind of meter in the elaborate and ornate use of language and especially in the use of figurative devices like onomatopoeia assonance and metaphor it is used, poetic prose, in order to achieve a specific effect and to raise the emotional temperature. And folks, I'm here to tell you that, that temperature is often boiling in this book. <laughs> yep. That temperature is very rarely cool. It is midsummer day. You, there's no shade around and you are left to roast and boil in the emotional temperature of this book. Yep. I pulled this because there are a couple of moments this is where i'll refrain for spoiling whatever that could mean in a book like this but there are a couple of moments of certain intensity that i still thought were so well realized in their intensity that it's i go back to the simile you want to look away uh and your admiring heart and admiring the beauty of words won't look away but you almost want to, and it's so it's such a push pull. I think she has such a poetic ear and eye for writing that th there are certain ways we could talk about the sentence, the way the sentences flow. I think she knows and has mastered the the notion that you know, and, and writing in any one sort of register or tone or even syntax can become a bit of a doldrums in and of itself. And so I think she has such a good push pull with just with her construction, sentence construction, and just the overall style. There's also a couple chapters that are written in completely different voice. There's certain vernacular that's deployed, but then the narrator doesn't use that as much. And it's, yeah, the way it comes in and out of itself, this prose is, I think it has to be called poetic, Amanda. I'm not sure how you felt. A hundred percent. Yeah, I would definitely describe her writing as beautifully poetic. Yeah. Just, it's, it's more than prose. It's interwoven together in a very specific way as as poetry is meant to be right it's meant to be right, brief right. and 
as we like to say, punchy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, full of imagery and, and meaning. And that's exactly what she does throughout the novel. Yeah, it's such a well-realized balance of, I, I remarked on this in Book Club One, but it's a well-realized balance of something that on the page count is brief, in the idea count and the literary arts count is incredibly not brief. <laughs> and is mm-hmm. the, the list of those accomplishments would be very long. And I just wish that, well, I don't know. I wish, uh, you know, what am I saying? This is like the dumbest observation ever. I wish we had more writers as good at writing as she is, I guess, whatever <laughs> kind of an observation is that. I guess what I'm meaning to say is I wish more authors set out and aspired to making something so compact and meaningful. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I start to bristle. I don't know if this is my old age or something, but when I see those page counts get up over four or 500, I, my brain kind of just shuts down these days. Maybe it's just a sign of my current writing ha- or uh, sorry, reading habits. But yeah, to see something so masterful and in such a brief page count was, I don't know, really revelatory to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could praise any other book as highly that we've encountered so far. This is the seventh one in the new lightly literary podcast run. And yeah, I don't know. I guess I would conclude this isn't a segment, but I think I've responded most strongly to this book so far. I'm not sure if you agree, but yeah, I've um, I, I still I think Kim Ji Young for me hits home a lot too because yeah. I I, yeah. I, I, um, I guess I I've experienced some of those same things. So like that's mm-hmm. yeah. for me still a stronger response. But I think that as far as like style, this is yeah, this is my favorite thus far for sure yeah those are gosh what a contrast that essay would be if you put those <laughs> books together oh my goodness i mean both <laughs> so justified within themselves and everything and they both have it just what a different vision of how just how to write a sentence even i don't know it's crazy to think back on that now just, or just the difference you know yeah. gosh but totally different literary missions those two books yeah i'm glad mm-hmm. we've encountered such such variety anyway so all right let's wrap this book recommendation up if that wasn't persuasion enough then never return to this podcast (laughs) uh leave and never come back (laughs) i guess that's funny but i I think i'll leave that in because i am being a bit sincere if you don't read this it's it's brief it's intense it's deeply profound i don't know what else we could do it's we didn't pick a 700 page epic you know we're not going to make you read we're not making you read the odyssey here so you know if you can't join us for this then what are we doing anyway yeah i i just responded very strongly to this book anyway so that's the bluest eye by tony morrison again the novel we'll be discussing for the next two weeks as always we post book club episodes every friday we divide the book in half and then do the first half one friday the second half the next so look forward to the first book club this friday if you can't listen in then that's fine just join us whenever you're ready it will be up the podcast will be up in the feed if this did not persuade you, though, as I said, see you later. But if you're sticking around anyway, <laughs> then okay. We do have other books that we've chosen coming up, and I'm going to read you the next three books in order that they will appear in the pod. And they are Native Speaker, which is a novel by Chang Ray Lee. The next one after that is Blood, Bones, and Butter by Gabriel Hamilton, which is a memoir. And then after that, it is Sansei and Sensibility by Karen Tay Yamashita, which I believe is a short story collection. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, there we go. So, a novel coming up, memoir, short stories. We're we're hitting all the diversity in terms of literature on this one. Amanda, any final words then on The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison before we close out? Uh, read it. Just read it. Read this, people. It. Please. It's the, the whole pr- this whole project is building to this moment. <laughs> this, is the, this is the one, I think. This is the one. No. Yeah, we've read uh, everything we've read I've enjoyed, but this, yeah, struck a kind of a different chord for me too. So, okay. 
Well, we appreciate you giving us a listen and just thinking about the book. Again, we hope you join us for those book club episodes soon. And until that time, we'll see you between the pages.